So we're going to be in Acts 12 today. Uh, we're going to look at the first 17 verses. And the story, the point of this story, what we're looking at today, is that for all of us in our lives, there are moments where we feel like there is no hope for anything whatsoever to ever come from any situation that we're in. For nothing good to ever come from our situation or however life has arranged itself for us. Each week for the past little while, I've talked about the Cleveland Browns, right? They were terrible forever. They made the playoffs. They won a game. And then this week, there was a moment where the game was completely unwinnable for them. Mathematically, athletically, realistically, they were done, gone, dead. And so they lost. Because that's what happens when there is no chance to win, is you lose. Literally, like, like they came from behind or whatever. No, this was no chance. There was no ability. And so one person texted me and they said, hey, if they win, are you going to talk about them again? Yes, I will talk about the game and I will also talk about them if they lose because that's what we've done every week so far. And this year has been awesome for us. But we're going to look at a situation because in our lives, there's moments where we feel like nothing good can come. We feel like any opportunity for God to do something has long since passed. And now we're just kind of living in the dark reality of where we are. And for some of you, that might be what has kept you from putting your faith in Jesus because you're convinced that it will never, ever get better. That Jesus coming into your life actually isn't going to change anything because he doesn't know, because he doesn't understand. And so that has prevented you from putting your faith in Jesus. And what we're going to look at today is an example where it's not just a little bit bad. It's all the way bad. And God moves in and God brings incredible freedom. So we're in Acts chapter 12, verse 1. And the first thing that we're going to see is that that deliverance, it comes from God. God is the only one who brings deliverance in our lives. He gives us ideas and patterns and things to try out in life. But ultimately, our deliverance comes from God because he is good and the devil is bad. It's that simple. God is good. The devil is bad. God brings deliverance where the devil brings captivity. And so the, the story we're looking at starts like this. Acts 12 verse 1. This is about that time King Herod Agrippa began to persecute some believers in the church. He had the apostle James, John's brother, killed with the sword. When Herod saw how much this pleased the Jewish people, he also arrested Peter. This took place during the Passover celebration. And then he imprisoned him, placing under the guard of four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring Peter out for public trial after the Passover. So there's a few familiar names in here. One of them is, John, is James. James was one of Jesus's 12 disciples. At the very beginning of his message, he 12, or very beginning of his ministry, he picked 12 guys and said, for the next three years, you're following me. And James was like part of the inner circle of, the, of these 12. He's the inner circle of the inner circle. And so this guy did every day with Jesus. There were times where Jesus would go do something and only take a few people with him. So like this guy was on the other side of the velvet rope. He was seeing all the amazing things that Jesus did. And after Jesus died, the same people who put Jesus to death started going after his followers. And James was the first of the 12 to be martyred. He wasn't the first Christian to be martyred. He was the first of the 12 uh, to be killed for believing in Jesus. The next name that we recognize from this is Peter. Peter is, the un is another one of the inner circle guys. So there are three. There are Peter, James, and John. Peter now gets arrested. And Peter is the big fish because he's the leader of the church at that point. And Herod, who's the third guy, uh, has arrested him thinking, man, if I kill Peter, everything is good. These Christians are done and life is going to be good for us to no longer have to deal with the church. 
So Herod, the third name that we recognize, it is not the same Herod who tried to kill Jesus when he was a baby. It's not the same Herod who agreed on Jesus getting crucified when he was a man at 33. This is a third different Herod who has the same family name and has the same family mission, and that is to kill Christians. That happens because the devil wants to do bad things in the world. It's that simple. Like God delivers and the devil imprisons and the devil captive and the devil holds us captive and the devil does bad things. And so part of how he's working in this story is to put Christians in jail. That type of stuff still happens today. So we talk about it when we do our missions moment on Central Asia and the churches that are happening there and the ways that churches uh, are doing life and doing ministry totally different than what we understand because for them to be Christians means there's a threat of arrest and imprisonment and getting their churches shut down and ultimately getting killed. That type of stuff still happens all the time. And the reason is really simple. Jesus talks about this at one point in in the book of John, uh, chapter 10, verse 10. He says, the devil came to steal and kill and destroy. So if there's a way to steal, kill, and destroy, he's going to do it. And if it means putting good, godly people like you and me in jail for believing in Jesus, yeah, he's going to do it. But Jesus came to bring life in its fullest. And I think... And for us to be a Jesus follower means that we understand both of those things. That the devil does come to steal and kill and destroy. And that gets brought through our lives at times where we don't want to admit it. At times where we don't want to deal with it because it's not nice. It's not fun. It's not pleasant. And so there's been death and destruction in our lives relationally and financially and with our relationship with our parents and our relationship with our kids and our relationship with other people. Even in our physical bodies, like we bear the marks of the devil coming to steal, kill, and destroy. But the thing that gives us hope every day for us to become a Jesus follower is that Jesus is actually turning that destruction around. He's bringing life where there's death. He's bringing freedom where there's captivity. And for us, I mean, we look at our own lives, we look at the lives of people around us, it's pretty obvious. Deliverance is needed since we're all captives and prisoners to sin. So those two terms, captive and prisoner, we're going to use these a lot this morning. Captive means that, that the imprisonment, the, the lack of freedom that we have on our lives, the area of deliverance that, that we need to see come to you and me isn't from something that we've done. Right? You think of a captive. It's not, somebody that, it's not something you sign up for and maybe get sentenced to because somebody else has done something to you. If you're a captive, that means that you're there because of the way that life or the way that somebody else has just imprisoned you the way that somebody else has put you in a place where you are held captive by the devil where there's a lack of freedom there's a lack of joy there's a lack of hope there's a lack of light and it's not because of anything that you've done it's a relationship that that in which you were cheated on it was a deal that went sour it was a situation where you were lied to and now you're left holding the bag like you didn't deserve anything in that you're a captive of your situation. Second term is prisoner. I mean, a prisoner, that, that means that we did something that has directly led to our bondage. That's one of the ways that the devil steals and kills and destroys us is because sin always takes us farther, one, farther than we want to go. It holds us longer than we want to stay and it takes more than we're willing to pay. But it all starts because at some point in your life and mine, we decide that that thing is going to be worth chasing after. And what's happened to all those people is never going to happen to you and me because we're different. What happens is we get held in sin. We get held as prisoners. 
I'm gonna pause the, the Acts story real quick. One thing that we're not gonna live as captives or as prisoners for the next four years uh, is in praying for our president, all right? Some of us voted for him. Some of us didn't vote for him. If we're Jesus followers, that means we have already voted for our king. We have a nonpartisan salvation. And so part of worshiping our king Jesus means that he tells us to pray for our president. So we're going to do that this year. In the bulletins that are around you, uh, there's a bookmark that said the same things that it said four years ago uh, during the last inauguration. Is we're going to pray for God to bless our president. Because there's a lot of things that he's going to figure out and a lot of decisions that are going to be made. And so regardless of what side of the aisle we sit on, we sit with King Jesus and we ask Jesus to bless our leader. Because if you've ever been in charge of anything, it's really tough being in charge. And so we want President Biden to know God's blessing this year. And so the bookmark is going to lead us through that. Why? Because we're not going to be held captive to uh, either somebody that we didn't vote for or held captive in hate and in anger against people that voted differently from us. We're going to live in freedom in Jesus because Jesus is king. He's never getting voted out of office. And he tells us in the meantime, while you are here, pray for your leaders. So we say, okay, yes, we'll do that. We worship our king. We pray for our leaders. Moving on. Deliverance is the church's mission. Deliverance is the church's mission. So you've got this situation. Peter's in jail. James is dead. Herod, who continues to do bad things, regardless of who who the actual Herod is, he's always doing bad things. Uh, And this is what happens in verse five. Peter's in jail. And while Peter was in prison, he came into the world to bring freedom. The first time that he exists is going to be on the screen. He says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me for he has come. And this is the message that I bring freedom into the world. That was why Jesus came. Because at the very beginning of everything, God saw you and me, and he didn't see us for our bondage. He didn't see us for our labels. He didn't see us as whether we are captive or whether we're prisoner. He saw us as sons and daughters that he loves. We will never escape that. What we will also never escape is the fact that attached to you and me, what defines our life in a lot of areas is the fact that we sin. That sin pushes us out of God's presence, not because he doesn't like us, but because God cannot be in the presence of sin. He is holy. We are unholy. And so what God does is God sent Jesus into the world to chase after us, to bring us back to God. And the way of bringing us back to God was Jesus was going to die the death that we deserve because the ways that we have sinned against God. And in that death, there's an exchange that happens. We get Jesus's perfect life. We get Jesus's perfect, sinless position before God. And he gets all of our sin. He became sin so we could become the righteousness of God. And that leads to our freedom. That doesn't lead to our freedom just because it happened. It leads to our freedom because we can accept it. And that's what, that's the moment. That's the change when you and I become Jesus followers is we say that death had a purpose. That death had a reason. That death had a name tag on it and it was mine. It's for me. It's for my freedom. Because Jesus is on a mission of deliverance. He's on a mission of bringing freedom into the world. And he passes that mission on to you and me. That we're moved into the world. We're where we are as Jesus followers because we are here to bring freedom to people. This week I was doing shape uh, and this was my verse one of the days, Psalm 19. It says this, how can I know all the sins lurking in my heart? Cleanse me from these hidden faults. Keep your servant from deliberate sins. Don't let them control me. Then I will be free of guilt and innocent of great sins. I read that and man, that idea of sins lurking in my heart, that's never good. 
you're going through life. You think everything's good. You're watching somebody else go through life. You think everything's good with them. And then there's something that's lurking that comes to the surface. And there's always pain. There's always fallout. There's always, why didn't you tell me earlier so we could fix this? Why can't, why didn't you, why didn't you, why didn't you this? And there's this, this stuff that has now come to the surface and brought damage and there's broken relationships and repair that needs to happen. And you know what? That's exactly where we live as a church. We don't exist for the Sundays where everything's great and we get to come to church and everything in our whole entire life is up and to the right and there's always good and always sunshine and everything's awesome. No, we exist for the moments where the wheels have fallen off where there has been deception and destruction and we're here to put stuff back together in our own lives and in other people's lives. And so the church here is gathering to pray for Peter not to change God's mind, but to come together and says, as everything has gone dark and everything is bad, this is where we want to see God move and we're coming together to see God move in the midst of where it looks like nothing good will ever happen. They've killed the first disciple. They've got the second one guarded by 16 soldiers. It's going to happen again. And so the church gathers to pray. And they're praying to communicate and to care about each other the same way that God does. They're not gathering to try and change God's mind. They're gathering to pray for each other and to bring God into the dark situation to bring hope and healing and faith and joy and life. Bringing it to the one who can actually free Peter. And so what's our issue? What's the thing that we have kept lurking for a long time? What's the thing that we're convinced that if it ever came to the light, we would be ruined? And our response as Christians is to bring that into the light. I mean, yes, there are definitely wrong times to talk about it, but there's also right times around right people say, hey, this is something I'm struggling with. This is something that has got me beat. This is the addiction that nobody else knows about. And when we do that, when we bring that to the Lord, there's always freedom. There's freedom as we fight for it. There's freedom because grace is opposed not to earning, but it's, I mean, it it is opposed to earning. It's not opposed to effort. As we fight for our own freedom and bring God into our dark situations, Jesus brings healing and Jesus brings hope. And deliverance happens through the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. Like that's our bedrock for all this is that Jesus was 100% dead. He was killed for our sins. And then three days later, God rose him from the dead and he walked out of his own grave. So verse six, the night before Peter was to be placed on trial, he was asleep, fastened with two chains between two soldiers and others stood guard at the prison gate. And suddenly there was a bright light in the cell and an angel of the Lord stood before Peter. The angel struck him on the side to awaken him and said, quick, get up. And the chains fell off his wrists. And then the angel told him, get dressed and put on your sandals. And he did. Now put on your coat and follow me, the angel ordered. So Peter left the cell following the angel. But all the time he thought it was a vision. He didn't realize it was actually happening. They passed the first and second guard posts and came to the iron gate leading to the city. And this opened for them all by itself. So they passed through and started walking down the street. And the angel suddenly left him. Peter finally came to his senses. It's really true. He said, the Lord has sent his angel and saved me from Herod and from what the Jewish leaders had planned to do to me. Deliverance happens through the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. That's not a moment for us to just lean back and say, you know what? God is going to work his way in my life as however he wants. 
That's not a consolation for us. That's an activation. That's a motivation for us to lean in because the same thing we talked about last week, our faith plus our participation brings the opportunity for God to do the miraculous. And so what's our issue, man? What's our issue where we need miraculous? What's the thing in our life where we have given up hope and we're convinced that nothing is ever gonna change? We can bring that to the Lord today and ask for him to change, to fight for it again, be doing battle on our knees saying, okay, God, this is where I want deliverance. And that's where Jesus brings light. And deliverance always comes at a cost. Deliverance always comes at a cost. It's a great week. I'm, I'm trying as... as Things open up more and as we're more used to this new reality, I'm trying to have more meetings with people and it's awesome because instead of just sitting at coffee, like we grab coffee and then go for a walk somewhere. I love it. I'm not sure about anybody else, but I love it. Uh, And I talked with some of you guys this week about things in your life that you've given up because they lead to other bad things. Like there's nothing wrong with the things that you've given up, but the thing is, is I will not do this because doing this good thing leads to a bad thing. That's beautiful. That's realizing that our deliverance, that our freedom is worth giving up things that are good, but they lead to bad things. Deliverance always comes at a cost and sometimes that cost hurts. Like, so what does it say about the angel? How does it wake? How does the angel wake Peter up? He says, the angel struck him. That's not nice. All right. I looked it up like, You know, you go through school and you wonder, when will I ever care about this again? That was Greek for me. Like we had to take three semesters in grad school and I actually used it for the first time in years. Like all the time where it says the angel struck, this isn't a nice strike, okay? This is like leaning back, you know, pivoting your back foot and driving the stake into the side of Peter. Struck him, this isn't nice. All right, so we've been married 17 years today, which means that 17 years from tomorrow, I learned how to start waking up Anna nicely. There's no striking in that. In fact, she even told me, she's like, don't even talk loud. Just start really quiet and just gradually get louder. So there have been times where seriously, I'm by her bedside saying, Anna, really quietly for like 10 seconds. And I know not to speak louder because that's not how you wake a woman up who if you want her to be nice to you when she wakes up and be happy. The angel did the opposite of this, struck Peter, hit him. And you know what happens after this? It's never mentioned again. It's not like Peter walked out and he's still holding his side because of the way that the angel hit him. And he's so upset that the angel punched him in the side and it hurts. And now for the rest of his life, he's gonna have pain right here. It doesn't matter anymore. Like he's done. Because that momentary pain led to incredible freedom. He was guarded by 16 soldiers chained up twice on both sides and he walks free. So was there a little bit of pain involved? Yeah, but did it matter after that? No, because the freedom was bigger. And the second thing that that cost him is the moment where he realizes he's alone. Like loneliness is a real thing. That's a real battle. And it's not like Peter only paid like like the $9.99 freedom package. And if he would have upgraded to $19.99, like he would have had the the angel with him the whole entire time. (laughs) Instead, the, the angel gets him free and the angel leaves him. Does that mean that he's ever really alone in this? Heck no. Was that his understanding at the time that he was alone? Yeah. If he would have gotten in trouble and you know, like there's a soldier that is on his post that he's not supposed to be there. And all of a sudden God's plan is all messed up because there's one guy who can blow a whistle. And all of a sudden the whole guard is going to come out and arrest him. Do you think God would do anything about that? Oh yeah. He'd fix that situation immediately. 
because he's a God that brings freedom. Even when we feel like we are alone, which is a real feeling, God still brings freedom. Even when we feel like, okay, man, this is going to hurt, but it's going to lead to my freedom. Jesus works through the pain to bring hope, to bring life, to bring deliverance that we never expected. And so deliverance gives God glory and and grows faith when our stories are shared. Verse 12, when he realizes this, he went off to the home of Mary, the mother of John Mark, where many were gathered for prayer. He knocked at the door and the gate and a servant girl named Rhoda came and opened it. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed that instead of opening the door, she ran back inside and told everyone, Peter is standing at the door. You are out of your mind, they said. When she insisted, they decided it must be his angel. Meanwhile, Peter continued knocking, and when they finally opened the door and saw him, they were amazed. He motioned for them to quiet down and told them how the Lord had led him out of prison. Tell James and the other brothers what had happened, he said, and then he went on to another place. Man, I love this. Who gets to share the story? Peter gets to share the story about how God rescued him. But who's the first person to hear about it? It's a servant girl. It's a no one. It's somebody whose name miraculously makes it into the story because Luke, the guy who wrote Acts, has this tendency to find the outsider, find the person that nobody else sees and elevate them as the hero. She's the one who gets to tell the story about how she opened the gate and saw the guy who was guarded by 16 soldiers because she mattered to God. She might not have mattered to anybody else, but God sees her and God wove her story into this story because beyond anybody else's recognition of her worth, God saw her and God gave her worth. This morning as we sit here, on the most depressing day of the year, we sit here being loved by a God who sees us and sees everything about us and wants to bring freedom. He holds the keys to our captivity. He holds the path to our captivity. He knows what the cost is going to be for our captivity, what we're going to have to divulge to people. And he already paid the spiritual cost for it so we could walk forth in, in human today in this life freedom. And so our, our privilege today, our joy is to experience freedom from Jesus and then to talk about it to share about what God has done in us. Because if Rhoda never tells her story, if nobody else in that house ever tells their story, the story dies with them. But they continue to tell the story and that has a far-reaching impact, way bigger than they would have imagined on the other side of the world 2,000 years ago. It hits us today where we are. And that's good news for us today. Let's stand and let's pray.